Hey guys, what's going on? This is David Avalon with another edition of the Breaking the Guard podcast with your hosts, me and Robert Drysdale. In today's episode, me and Robert go all over the place, but we start off with talking about the Spider Jiu-Jitsu tournament that just held the biggest prize in grappling history, awarding $200,000 total in prize money with two $100,000 prizes. So me and Robert talk about the implications of that and how perhaps Asia might be rising in the grappling scene and start stealing competitors from the U.S. We also go into talking about power of social media and how it's influencing people in both good and bad ways. I also give some anecdotes about my life and dealing with uh, confidence issues. And uh, finally, we venture into trigger territory, talking about veganism and uh, why me and Robert are weary of it. So it's just a fun conversation that I had with Robert, so I sure, hope you guys will enjoy it. Uh, stay tuned to listen. Before we get started, I'd like to mention one of our sponsors, which is FFACoach.com. Right now on FFACoach.com, but if you're listening to this live, it is Thanksgiving Day. So hopefully, thanks, happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there listening. And we have a huge Black Friday sale going on. It's the biggest sale that I've ever done in my history, I think, because we're marking off courses 60%, 66%, 50%, whether you're getting the Kimura Trap System, the Back Trap Series, a whole bunch of different things. They're all on sale at ffacoach.com shop. You can pick and choose which courses you want, and you get to see all the discounts there. No coupon codes required. Just pick what you want, order it. You can use credit card, PayPal, whatnot. It's going to be going on until December 2nd, so make sure you take advantage of that. I also have two special deals there that... Uh, if you've been following me but never got anything from me yet, this would be the best time to do it. I have what I call the super deal, which is essentially all the courses that I offer online at one flat rate. And um, that is like 66% off or something like that. And then buying them individually. So you'll save a ton of money. And it's like over 100 hours of content. Because not only do you get all the courses, you get a year access to FFA Coach as well which has over 80 hours of content. So it's a ton of stuff there. So you, you can get that matrix-like infusion <laughs> from me with that one course. And then finally, I'm also hosting uh, my next retreat in Las Vegas. It's going to be from March, I'm sorry, February 25th to March 2nd. And what's going to be different this time around with my Las Vegas retreat is that I'm going to be hosting it at my house. As you will find out, I have moved into a new home, a nice big place, a lot of rooms. So one of the ideas is I'm going to have my guests over here. I have a large four-car garage. We're going to have all the mats laid out there. And we're going to keep it small like last time. I'm thinking I'm probably going to cap it around 10, maybe 14 people at most. And uh, I have room for everybody in here. And uh, you guys will get to hang out with me. We'll get to train. We have pretty much 24-7 access to the mats. We'll do group activities together. And I'm doing, it's a one-week long camp. And 
we're marking it off by 30%. So it's going to include the lodging, the transportation to group events, all the training. It's like 18 plus hours of training we have scheduled. So it's going to be a really awesome time. Again, it's one of the things I love doing now is hosting these retreats, getting to know people and having a lot of fun teaching and hanging out with them. So right now, the normally is $14.97 for that. Uh, for this Black Friday special, I'm marking it down to $9.97, and that's with, the, with everything. The only thing you got to do besides that is get your flight and um, your meals, of course, and you're, you're set. So a really awesome deal. Uh, make sure you take advantage of that. That's also, you can get it there from ffacoach.com slash shop. But if you want to learn more about all the details, go to bjjretreat.com to learn about that. Hey, what's going on, everyone? I'm Robert Drysdale, my good friend here, David Avalan. This is episode 18 of Breaking the Guard. Dave, how are you doing? Doing pretty good, you know, getting settled into the new house. The house. Uh, man, like I'm just, I've been walking all over the place. Like today is like 12,000 steps, just oh, wow. <laughs> going up and down. It's like seven, eight miles. But, uh, I, I like the technology is keeping track of everything you do. The other day I checked my phone. I only done this once and I'm never going to do it again. But like how much screen time I have on my phone. Mm. It's like, I don't know if it's an average or if it's just like, you know, that just happened to be like a very high day, but like I had six hours. Screen time on my phone, <laughs> and I guarantee you, like ninety, it just works. Some there's some fun, you know. You're texting yeah. friends, and you're like every now and send your friends a funny video or whatever, you know. But um, yeah, it's really even like someone sends me like you know video of them rolling, like you know I don't have to watch it, but it's kind of like the nice thing to do. So I end up watching it. I reply, I'll work on this or that, you know. But it consumes your time, man. Like saying you know, yeah, six hours a day, man, on the phone. Yeah, those. I mean, it's crazy because. Growing up without a phone, and then you get the phone, it's, uh, it's different. I imagine kids now just being hooked on those things, you know, and I've seen it all the time, like with my brother's uh, kids, like he has to put curfews, and now they have apps that limit the time, so it shuts off, and they... Yeah, I got to look into that. You got to be careful what your kids are uh, watching, too, because next thing you know, they're, they're watching content that's not very appropriate, yeah. so you just got to be careful there. Yeah, to me, I look at the internet as a very scary place. <laughs> a lot of things you you can't unsee something, you know. Yeah. So you don't want them seeing the wrong things and getting in bad impressions right away. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 beautiful and there's all these you know advantages to it, but at the same time, you gotta be careful. So, um, I mean, we had a pretty awesome. Was it last weekend? Pretty big event, arguably the biggest payout in the history of yes. jiu-jitsu. I can't think of anyone bigger. I really think that was a record. $200,000 given away by Spider. Yeah. Right? It was an event in South Korea. Had some big names, some, you know, best grapplers in the world were there. And they they put up $200,000 in prize money. That's incredible. Yeah. And it wasn't like they spread across like 10 divisions. It was two yeah. divisions. So it was 200K payouts. So as a single payout in grappling, I don't think there's ever been one close to that even total i mean maybe adcc comes close to that i'm not sure you have to do the math because yeah because at adcc you got five male divisions and two females they're paying out uh 10k for each male division and then 40k for the absolute so i don't even think adcc gets up to 200k yeah yeah it's i don't think so either and and you know they have deep pockets so for Spider to be doing this. It's interesting because it seems to me that they're a clothing brand. I know they've been sponsoring the Meow Brothers for a while. 
I'm wondering what's their what's their ultimate goal with uh, the BJJ market if it's just like really expanding in Asia perhaps because you don't see them a lot in in North America. I happen to have some some of their underwear. <laughs> Other than that, you don't see their their their, their gear. I mean, it's not it's not an American brand. It's yeah, it's not super popular here. So I wonder how it's doing over there, or if you know, it's it might be that BJJ is far more popular in Asia than we're giving it credit for, Dave. That's totally possible, right? We have all these um, you know all these gyms popping out all over the place, and you know we're still in that little you know Brazil U.S. bubble. And, you know, we're ignoring what's going on in Africa and Asia. And, like, Asia is, like, you know, Asia itself is, like, two-thirds of the world population. Yeah. So there's definitely a lot of potential. They might be looking at that. We know that 1FC has been doing really well in Asia, and that's their market. Yeah. Now, we know, we know they have plans of expanding to the U.S., but they've been doing really well in Asia. And I, I really think that in the future, you know, people will who speak Mandarin and Indian will probably be doing better in business in general as those markets grow. Yeah. As their economy grows, their buying power grows. Yeah, so I think Spider might be a manifestation of something much bigger. You know, I think that the West is going to be looking more and more to the East for big events and big shows because they have an audience that we can't even come close to. Yeah, you know, it's I know the Southeast Asian economies have been rising uh, relative to the the area there. So if because I know the U.S. is always the number one pay per view market, and generally can. Different stuff like, for example, DVDs and online courses, it's harder to sell over there versus here. But if their economy picks up enough where it starts to catch up, where now they can shell out the same amount of money that we are over here, then those numbers are going to add up really fast. Yeah. You know, because we're dealing with like around 400 million in the U.S. And are we at 400 million? I was going to say 300 something. It's somewhere between three and 400 yeah. million, you know? Versus over there, like just in what in China, China you have like two billion. <laughs> India's got like what I, over so, a billion. Yeah, yeah, so it's it's crazy. Yeah, but I know like in India is really still backwards. Yeah, it's very yeah. very underdeveloped. But like I think I mean if I can't spend on India, like and we know that China is like it's they've been you know they're they're gonna outdo the U.S. the American economy. It's just a matter of time. It's just we they know that you know the next few years is gonna happen. The question is what shape are the how much is that gonna shape the way, you know, not, not only just martial arts, but the world in general, because it, once they have more buying power, it's like a shift of, of power, you know, and since we're like their events will be more seen. And then one is a manifestation of that spider might be another. And then on a global level, there's a lot more than just martial arts, obviously. So it'd be interesting to see what happened to their technology companies. I know that, is it, is it Huawei, Huawei, like their phones? Hawaii, yeah, Hawaii, yeah. I think they're illegal here. Like, I'm not sure how it there works. There was some weird, uh, well, because I believe the government of China controls Hawaii yeah so there was a national security issue with yeah. having them over here and selling us phones that they can tap into of course well it's, it's the same thing with like an Apple and Google they really share information with the government too it's not like they yeah. don't do that yeah. like Facebook so it's almost like each country has its own you know favorite technology but it's interesting to see because in Europe they're very popular phones if you go to Europe and Brazil too you see the Chinese phones everywhere and people love them so I don't I wouldn't know but like apparently they're good quality phones but it's interesting how these things play out in the future yeah, you know, the as far as martial arts is concerned, I would welcome the competition you know, yeah. because we've talked about this already to death, but UFC Monopoly really hurts yeah. a lot of uh, bidding, you know. But if we had good competitors, one FC is definitely a strong competitor, but if it's able to continue to rise, and then you got, especially for Jiu-Jitsu, Jiu-Jitsu, where we talked about this too, there's a lot of organizations now that are starting to pay out more, but now we see people paying out 100K 
over there, like if I was competing, like damn, I, I would put on a gi right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's been great. <laughs> to, to win a hundred k payday for one tournament, you know. So. You know, it's like because we we kind of stopped right around the same time, and I'm wondering yeah. like. You know, if we were jujitsu the right time or at the wrong time, because you can always argue that you know now it's it's even though they're getting paid a lot more. I mean, how many of these guys will be able to do what we did in the sense where you know, like we, you've established a network, I've established a network, and I don't. I think it's gonna be far more difficult in the future for people to do this because the sport kind of has its own. Like for example, jujitsu team. Like we found, I found a jujitsu team with Kavaka Zenith. It's difficult to do something like that now. It's getting harder and harder because if you start something from scratch, it's very difficult to get that those first 40, 50, you know? Like yeah, it's it's yeah. not an easy it's not like building a school when the when the market in their city is saturated, right? And BJJ, I wonder if it's it is saturated or not. Because I'll for example given in Las Vegas, they're opening a new gym every six months in Vegas, probably more than that. And like places in California, it's the same thing. If you type in BJJ in Los Angeles, it's, you know, schools everywhere. Now it's a huge population and a growing population. But I'm wondering where it caps off or if it does. You know, if it's going to happen, what happens to other sports where there is like a ceiling of how much, you know, how many people can actually be in the sport without it being, you know, without it, while being like a profitable business for, for everyone who's involved. Yeah, you know, I think there's still room for us to grow. Um I know the level of talent has obviously gone up significantly, right? No so there is definitely more competition for schools because you have high-level talent yeah. all over the place. I remember back in the day, you could be a blue belt and open up a school. Yeah, in, in certain areas, you know, like uh, even in my even in Miami, I, I, I mean, I was a zero belt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I opened up my school, you know, and I knew another guy who was a blue belt. He he was really more advanced, but. He just had nobody grading him, so he was just stuck. At the last grade he had, which was blue. Uh, but nowadays, that would be really hard to fly. You yeah, know, and it's right. um, the the you know, just t- touch on something. I, I've given this a lot of thought regarding the the talent because I think that you know, first off, there there are more competitors. Yeah, I remember like for you to win a world championship as a purple belt, like five matches, that was it. You know, now it's at least six, right? Which means the number of competitors doubled. Yeah. So you think one extra match. No, that means double the number of competitors, right? Yeah. So if you're at seven, it's double what it was at six. Yep. So yep. you got to keep thinking, because like, you know, every time, every round, like 50% of the people in the division are out of division. So if you have seven fights to win a tournament, you have like 150 people in your bracket if you do the math, yeah. right? So it's, it's more competitive in the sense where you have a lot more people. As far as information goes, I feel that it is a lot more... It has gone, technically, it's gone up, like, a lot. Yeah, you know, skyrocketed. Like it, there's, yeah. there's no doubt about that. I do think this is, to me, this is an interesting topic, though, because I feel that there's there's always a discussion between old and new, right? And there's no doubt that there are, have been improvements. But you got to be careful with this conversation. One, because many things that are considered to be old are very efficient, right? Because a new school would go, their argument would be, you know, oh, that is old, what is new is better, that's what I do. I'm going to stick to what's new, right? And then you get the old school guys who go like, oh, no, basics are more important, yada, yada, yada. And I've always like, I've always been, because I used to be on the new school side of things when I was considering new school a long time ago, you know, but like what's saying you see things from a different perspective, I, I think I, I found like a middle ground. And the, what I would call the middle ground here, Dave, is, you know, you, you have a lot of techniques that are called fundamentals and basics. They're the vast majority of what, you know, high level competitors do today, but they don't stand out. Right, because they're just you see a naked choke, 
you don't call it old school. You just call it a naked choke. Yeah. But it's technically a very old school move. And like the vast majority, well, even guys with highly sophisticated jujitsu, you know, like if you pay attention, the vast majority of what they're doing is actually basic. They're basic things. But it doesn't stand out as a highlight and no one notices them. So they fly under the radar. Whereas whatever they do that is new and, and, and like part of innovation, that, you know, draws a lot of attention. So people are under the impression that is a whole story. So my middle ground has always been, I don't care how old it is or how new. The only thing that matters is, does it work? Yes. And that's what people should be focused on, not whether jiu-jitsu that was practiced in the 1980s is better than jiu-jitsu that's practiced today, which is, of course, ludicrous. But that's not really the point of the discussion. The point of the discussion is, what are the most efficient techniques? And like once we find those, that should be your roadmap right there. Yeah, you know, I, like, you know, my story, like, I came up essentially Ronin, you know, which I was just learning from wherever I could. So I've always adopted that. And I actually, before I got into MMA, I did it like a year and a half of Jeet Kune Do. Oh. And you, I read the Tao of Jeet Kune Do, and I thought it was like the Bible, you know, Bruce Lee. Oh. <laughs> but it was always adopt everything that works. So I've always kept that all the way through. So I remember I would just learn anything that would, I would try anything that would work. I've had students come up to me and goes, hey, I learned this move playing a Japanese pro wrestling video game. I'm like, all right, show me. Jimmy and Mantequilla. That's yeah. And we even named the move after him. We called yeah. it Mantequilla, and it worked. I took down a D1 college wrestler wow. using it. You know what I mean? It yeah. was just like, I forgot what they called it. It was some weird name in pro wrestling. Yeah, it's yeah. like dragon spinning something or other, yeah. you know? But it's like you're on a head inside single leg, and you essentially just drop and spin underneath the leg, and it causes the guy to roll. Actually, I think I've seen it. Yeah. yeah. It, it works really well, you know? But I mean, that's the point. Like, I would do anything as long as it worked. I don't care where it comes from. You know, like, especially mm-hmm. back in the day, people did care where it came from. Yeah. You know, and it's like the style of it mattered. Whereas, yeah. I never cared about, like, oh, who's, like, in UFC, like, who's the Jeet Kune Do fighter? Who's the wrestler? It's like, no, who's the best fighter? Yeah. That's the guy I want to be, you know? So, uh, I think with the old school, new school, yeah, it's kind of a silly argument. It's just whatever is working, let's keep yeah. doing that, you know? But I think that always changes because you might have a set of techniques that work great now and then some new technique comes out and or some new approach comes out and that kind of makes this not work mm-hmm. as well anymore. Now it's like, okay, now we have to branch off or maybe just start doing this now. So yeah. I think that's what's interesting. But for the most part, I think the jiu-jitsu now is very similar to the jiu-jitsu as it was when I was competing. Yeah. There's some more like... It's... it's yeah. There are more similarities and differences, and I think that's what we can't lose track of. I do think that there's an attitude issue that has to do with people that are old school, that are very stubborn and like admitting that the sport has evolved. Like I have friends of mine, black belts, that are adamant about, like they, they're convinced that jiu-jitsu in Brazil in the 1980s was better than it is now. And they think that if you put competitors in the 1980s, early 90s, into a time machine and have them compete with Bushesha, like, you know, like Bushesha would lose. I'm like, that's, I, I don't even know how to reply to that. Yeah. Like, it sounds insane to me. You know, but people like that are, it's almost like borderline religious, right? Like, they really, really believe in, you can't convince them otherwise. So you have stubbornness on one end, right? Not admitting, you know, the changes and the evolution of the sport. On the other end, you have arrogance. Because you have a lot of young kids, like, kind of patting themselves on the back and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's like kind of, you know, driving over a bridge and bragging about the fact that you created the arch. You know, you didn't create the arch. The bridge was there. You're just driving over it. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? The true genius is the guy who came before you and thought of, you know what, an arch, and you get a cornerstone here, and you actually have this beautiful structure. Boom. That's the guy that deserves credit. That wasn't you. 
you know, but I think it's interesting to see like a lot of like blue belts, how much credit they give themselves over something they didn't do. You know, and I see that a lot. And I was like, I always like contrast like the stubborn old man with like the arrogant 20 year old, you know, and like they're both, you know, extremists. But, you know, there, there's some of the truth normally, normally lies somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I think that's not the case with every controversial situation. The earth is not half flat, half round. That's not <laughs> the case, right? Sometimes, like, one side is just absolutely incorrect and there's no discussion. Are you telling me there isn't a turtle holding up the earth? Oh, my God. <laughs> Atlas, right? As the Greeks were leaving, the Titan was, like, holding the planet up. You know, um, that's pretty crazy. Like, it's the shit that people believe in, man. It blows my mind. Oh, sometimes the- I feel like we're going backwards. Like, sometimes, like, you know, the world's progressing and, you know, we had our iPhone. It's, that's alien technology right there, man. It's an incredible piece of technology. And then sometimes, like, I listen to stuff that people believe in and kind of like, are we regressing? Are we you going back to the middle, uh, the middle Ages in, in some ways? Like, you know, it's, it's, the world is getting crazier as we go. Really, technology made it easier in one ways, but, like, really, people made more people more ignorant in a lot of ways. I don't know if they're just trying to revolt or something like that. Like, people who do the flat earth arguments, it's like, oh, my God, like. The what? The flat Earth? The flat Earth thing? Yeah. I, I always thought it was just a joke, and then like you see some people like adamant. Like, yeah, I still wonder if it's... Actually, this is what I think it is. We're talking about it right now, right? Yeah. So it's working. Right. It's a way of drawing attention. You can say something outlandish, and if you stick to it, it's just a way of marketing yourself. Because I, I have a hard time believing an adult in the 21st century truly believes that. I don't think anyone's that ignorant towards, like, you know, astronomy and, and physics. Like, you know, it, my, my daughter knows this, and it's not controversial in the scientific community. Just think about how many scientists you would have to convince to get on board with something like that. Right. It's just not just that. Anybody who's traveled, yeah. you can easily tell. I mean, otherwise, how do you explain, like, how satellites work or, you know, how planes are circumnavigating or even how, mm-hmm. you know... It, it just seems like you have to make a giant leap of faith, multiple yes. leaps of faith and lots of conspiracy in order for this to work. Whereas the reality that we're presented with now makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Not to say that there's not something wrong with it. You could be skeptical, but I can't see any logic to a flat earth argument. No, and, and the thing about you know a lot of conspiracy theories is you know, conspiracy theories are efficient and they work and they can be true, in my opinion, when they have very few people involved, right? Like the FBI's nightmare scenario is a Unabomber. Why is the Unabomber so terrifying for like, you know, like the NSA or FBI? Because he works alone. Yeah. Who does he communicate with? Someone. Himself. Yeah. Like that guy's scary, right? But if you have, you know, a, a group of like 300 people involved in an operation, what are the, la- the the odds of something leaking or someone spilling the beans or communication being caught or something going wrong because you have so many moving parts. Anyone who runs a business or deals with multiple people knows perfectly well what I'm talking about. The odds of, of something going wrong increase exponentially as the group grows, right? It gets more difficult to coordinate things. So when you're talking about something like the man not landing on the moon or 9-11, or you're talking about flat earth, you're talking about these conspiracies, like you have any idea how many people it would take to plant bombs all across the, the World Trade Center, like every single floor, yeah. like like dynamite, like you know, how long that would take, how many people, you have to get the cleaning people involved. It's not something you do in 10 minutes, Dave. That's something right, that would take right. weeks. Every floor, both buildings, you would have to get every cleaning person, like every staff member on board with the conspiracy. Like, it's, it's virtually impossible. Like, it can't even, like, if, if fathom that someone will believe something like that. But, you know, and then as soon as they find the one thing that people can't explain, ha-ha, 
that becomes the whole story, right? Yeah. So, I mean, but I think it's, it, to me, it's like almost like funny. It's like entertaining conversation like what we're having now. But I think deep down people either haven't given it enough thought or it just makes them stand out. So we have stand out. Everyone's trying to stand out in some way. We're living in a world where if it's very, you become boring very quickly, right? For you to get 30 seconds of someone's attention on Instagram, you have to do crazy stuff. Yeah, that like is true. Being, so that is like you're constantly fighting for people's attention. There's a category in psychology, I think it's called attention engineers or attention engineering. Mm. It's like how to catch people's attention and engineer that towards you know, font size, color size, we know that red, like, you know, hunger. Like, so people, like, they, they, they curl these, like, they're looking for these, like, little glitches in, in the human mind. Like, how can we better capture your attention? So everyone's always fighting for, you know, other people's attention. When we can't find that, then, you know, being outlandish and, you know, obnoxious is a way of getting the attention. So I think that explains why flat earthers are calling us. It's almost like they, they have their own little niche now because, the, if people can't stop talking about it, like we're talking, they've getting the attention that they're craving, right? We're in an attention-hungry society. Yeah, and I think what's kind of dangerous about that is a lot of it. Some people actually buy into it. Yeah, you know, um, we have, we had mentioned. I think you had mentioned to me a couple episodes about the the game changer, the uh, food thing. Yeah, the, the food thing. Yeah. And then uh, actually, I was listening to a podcast that was dissecting it. And it was like a lot of BS that they were trying to push into as a documentary, which was really just like a fiction movie. Yeah. Like they were talking about, um, what was it? Well, they were using examples of, uh, for example, like carbon emissions and whatnot. And they're saying uh, that cattle production uses this amount. And if they went vegan and you started just going off grains and whatnot, yeah. it would lower it. And the reality is the opposite. That if you're the amount of uh, co2 that's being produced when you're doing um let's see the carbon uh emissions that are being produced when you're doing mass industrial uh crops like monocrops it's huge more than cows more than cows per calorie because i think they measure it per calorie right per calorie, how yeah. many calories do you get out of this amount of you know, carbon monoxide or whatever right right and, and the calories like methane because they fart so much yeah and then the and there's another problem that I guess they said wasn't an address, which was the soil, and like the way that we do the our crops, our farming is depleting all the soil. And I guess they said there's an estimate of sixty crops left, like sixty yields, yeah, left before the soil is completely spent. And the only way to replenish that is what they they had this process called holistic um, regenerative uh, farming or whatnot. Yeah which involves cycling animals. So you have yeah. cows and you have chickens and then you have a crop and then you have another type of crop yeah. and all the, each one re- gives something back to the soil so that it regenerates. Well, yeah, it's it's uh, the cycle crop. I think there's a name for it. It, it might be, what, what do you call it? They, they, they call it like holistic regenerative farming. Yeah, because that, this yeah. is what happens. Like land, it has like X amount of nutrients, right? Let's say you grow the same crop over and over and over, the same kind of trees over and over, over like a few decades. So you're, that soil is gonna be completely depleted from certain you know nutrients that are fundamental for yeah. that crop, right? So you have to cycle through. So an intelligent farmer would like every season, right? He would plant his beans in a different place. They planted his rice that is different from where the corn is, and you're constantly rotating. And that rotation is actually healthy for the soil. Yeah, I know this in my in my hometown, in Brazil, a lot of eucalyptus uh, eucalyptus trees, right? They're really good for paper. Yeah. so they grow very fast. But as a result, so it's you know it's it's quick return on your on your investment. But as a result, it depletes the soil because it drains the soil so much out of water 
what happens after a few decades is that land becomes desert. Like yeah. you have a desert in the middle of green because there's nothing else will grow there because the eucalyptus like just pulled sucked out of the yeah. sucked everything up because they grow so fast, right? And it's you know it's almost like a debate where you know even though it's private property, uh, to what extent does private you know property control the environment because you're impacting the environment now and the environment belongs to everyone. Yeah. So at some point it's like it's a question of where and there should be some kind of uh, accountability for crop rotation then, right? Because you now you're actually impacting the lives of a lot of people, not just of your own property. You know? So it's an interesting discussion. I think the problems that we're going to be having in the future. Yeah, you know, and, and I guess uh, the the point of that, what I was saying is that a lot of people are passing off, you know, propaganda as facts. You know, and because yeah. I know a lot of people think that oh, like oh, being vegan is like super healthy and all that. And it's not. Yeah, you have to be really careful with how you do it. You know, and uh, I'm not convinced. By the way, yeah, I think meat is healthy. I mean, I think we eat too much meat. If I think if I could change something in my diet, I would cut down the meat by half, and I'd be fine. Probably healthier. But to eliminate meat completely from your diet, I think it's. I just can't see it being healthy. I just don't see how. Yeah, I, I mean, we're omnivores. There's yeah. no way around it. And I think the ratio is varies from where you are, and depending, you know, there's tribes that eat just pure meat all the time. Yeah. You know, like if you look at Inuit or I forgot, there's an Af the tribe in Africa that is like all meat and they they're fine. You know, yeah, they're I I don't think there's a, I can think of anything that is pure vegetable. Yeah, anywhere. You know, and there's a reason for that. You know, because it doesn't really work that way. Yeah. Because they were using uh, examples of like power lifters, and there was one guy there I forgot his name that he was a power lifter and he was a vegan. Yeah. But when you look at his diet, his diet is mostly powder. And he's like, all the protein shakes. All the protein shakes. Because you, where are you going to get that type of amount of protein in, I mean, you in, in eat, peanut butter or something like that? All day. But yeah. even then, like the, I guess the, all proteins are not absorbed equally, right? You know, and the whey and you have all the other stuff and protein powders that we use, you know, if you're not caring about meat or whatnot. But there's something called a bioavailability. And like with meat, and animal products like cheese and whatnot, yeah. the bioavailability is really high. I think you gave a number like it was like 1.33, for example, for like red meat. Yeah. Peanut butter is like 0 0.08. So even though you might have like 30 grams of protein from peanut butter, it's not the same as getting 30 grams of steak. You're not going to absorb the same amount yes. of protein. So yes. you have to eat a huge amount of volume. It's yeah. like, I think you were saying that to get the equivalent, you have to eat like a third of a cup or something to get like three ounces of meat. The amount of protein you get from three ounces of meat would be like a third of a cup of protein. Peanut butter, yeah. which is a hell of a lot of peanut butter. That's a lot of peanut butter. And yeah. I love peanut butter. Yeah, right? but it's a lot of fat and stuff that you, yeah. you're getting in addition to with the protein you're trying to get. And then the amino acid profiles are all messed up. So it, I don't think it works. And like this guy, like you're trying to say, oh, we're going to be holistic and all that and be vegan. But then most of your diet is considered of protein powders because they have to mix up, you know, be the pea protein, the rice protein and all this to get the right amino acid profile. So it's like. I don't know. That doesn't, that doesn't sound like a good diet. You no, know? no. Like I you're living like a pharmacist. I, you know? The lesson I took from that is, um, I, I do think I, I'm trying to eat more greens. I'm trying to become more vegan-like. Trying to cut back on meat a little bit every now and then. I over order tofu instead of steak, or right, my burrito. Like I'll do things like that every now and then. I'm trying to cut back a little bit, but I will never stop eating meat. Like that's just not going to happen. 
I, uh, a, I like it too. I just, listen, there's a reason why bacon smells so good. <laughs> Ever think about that? Broccoli doesn't smell that good, does it? Yeah, no, it's terrible. It's, it's, been, it's been programmed into our <laughs> factory system to like, like things that are beneficial for our survival. Bacon is one of them. You know, so there you go. Yeah, I I'm, can't argue with nature. I'm, I'm apologetically carnivore. <laughs> no, I look. I'll eat as much meat as I no, please. When I was a kid, know? man, that's all I'd eat. Like I didn't want to touch carbs and vegetables. It's just all I wanted to eat was meat as a child growing up. In Brazil, it's like very. It's like Brazil has like probably like the cheapest steak in the world because there's so much cattle there mm. that it drops the, the cost. Like poor people eat steak in Brazil almost every day. It's not expensive like it is in the rest of the world. So like yeah, if you're in Brazil, you're you're barbecuing every weekend, and that's all you eat. Like, if you eat a salad as a guy, it's almost like, bro. That's right. Like, it's kind of gay. You know? I don't, I don't know. Like, it's like if a guy walks in a group of friends, like, they're all drinking beer and eating meat, and you got a salad, it's like, yeah. You know, like, that's the gayest thing I've seen. All <laughs> Not judging, you know, but like, it's, it's kind of what's going to go through their heads. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, so, you know, talking about fake news, and I think that we're living in that era. Uh, it's it's funny because there's so much information. Very few people have the time to fact check. Like Wikipedia is literally a source of knowledge for most people. If they want to learn something, they're not going to bother reading a 400-page book, which is still limited information. You should get 50 books before you have like a, you know, a, a, a grounded opinion, I suppose. But I, I know people that will read like a Wikipedia and they're like, yeah, I got it, right? Even though I do use Wikipedia, you got to be a little careful. But we are living in the age of misinformation precisely because we're bombarded. Yeah. with information we don't have the time or the energy to filter through it right so we just believe anything that is convenient to a pre-existing belief so you have a pre this you see this in politics a lot you see this and i'm starting to see this in jujitsu i wonder if you like if you think that that's something that is you know if you're seeing it as well like, like i every now and then i'll see a meme or also see someone say something and like that's not true but like you, i can see there's a lot of people start believing it because it's uh, it's almost like you know reality is being designed by by memes. Like I get into political arguments with people, like my uncle in yeah. Brazil, and like he'll send me a meme as evidence. Like I'm not even making this up. <laughs> I'm not making this up. We'll get yeah. an argument with him, and like I'll send him like a study from the World Bank or something, and he fires back with like a YouTube video or a meme, and I'm like, not the same, <laughs> not the same, <laughs> uncle. Not an argument. This I love you to death. Not the same, you know. But I feel like we're living that in jujitsu a little bit too. You know, we're um, you know, I've seen people like they're picking and choosing their facts and that's not they're not being very analytical about how they interpret, you know, what is actually happening in the sport. Would you agree with that with some to some extent or no? Oh, for sure. And I think a lot of the technology helps facilitate that because you know, like all these social media companies are all trying to serve you ads. At the end of the day they're trying to make money. So they want to serve you ads with things that you're gonna like. And they're gonna, and not just ads. They're gonna serve you content with things that you're gonna like. So it tends to create those echo chambers, uh, echo chambers or thought bubbles yeah. where you're gonna keep seeing stuff that you agree with. You know, so you don't get those dissenting That's a good point viewpoints. Like when I look at my social media, I see all the you know all the people I like and all the you know this the products I like and you know the, the advertisements are targeted. And so I'm not seeing things outside of that. You know, so you, you have to go out of your way to find new yeah. information, right? And you have to try to Google it or whatnot, you know. But the social media things are going to essentially keep you in your bubble. In your bubble. Because yeah. they bring back, they, they bring you what you, they, you, they think that you want to see. The, yeah. the algorithm is designed to reinforce something that, you know, is pre-existing. Yeah. 
there's I think I mentioned this in one of the previous podcasts, but I'll recommend it again. Is a book by a guy called Daniel Kahneman. He's a he's a psychologist. It's called Think Fast and Think Slow, and he's talking about all these like the glitches, like the loopholes in the human mind. And one of them, he has an acronym for it. It's a really long acronym, but it goes like this: All you see is all there is, right? And that's how the human mind works. Like reality is what we can see. So if there's something you can't see, it is. It, we can't factor that. We can't factor that possibility to our immediate thought. It takes a lot of critical thinking, like for you, to, a lot of skepticism for you to go. But what about this? What about that? For you to be able to, you know, tr- uh, try to understand things that you can't immediately see. They're not immediately in front of you. So going back to the analytics and, and algorithms of, of social media, what is presented to us is a way of almost distorted reality. But it is the reality that is being presented. And like I mentioned, most people don't have the time or energy to actually get a broader scope because we have become, we become so knowledgeable in so many different topics or unknowledge, like lack of knowledge, perhaps not knowledge, but we, we know so much about like so many different things that we only can know a little bit about a little bit, like, like very little, small, little compartmentalized kind of, you know, types of knowledge. We can't really delve deep into one topic. Which is one reason why, like, I hated academics, is because they go so deep into one thing. Like, your you, history, you're supposed to study, you know, what people were wearing in, you know, New Mexico from 1877 yes. to 1878, and that's your specialty, right? And like, I'm, I'm not even exaggerating. Like, it's yeah, so like sure. specific, and it's it's boring, but like that is the correct way of approaching things, you know? Because if you really want to get down, well, you have to like really go deep into the rabbit hole to understand things. But people don't have the time for that. So Wikipedia, like reading the Wikipedia is pushing it. Like most people aren't even going to read a Wikipedia. And it's, I'm telling you, Wikipedia is very, very unreliable. Oh, no, I know they, at one point there, I think they deleted my brother's Wikipedia. What then? It was just somebody who I guess didn't like my brother. <laughs> so he, yeah, you have to have, I guess, certain uh, credentials in order to be listed as a celebrity. Like my brother's freaking coached all these guys. He's been in ADCC and... But you just have. I don't know how it works, man. Like they, they yeah. have essentially the editors are just people. Like you want to be an editor, you could become it, and you just start writing articles. And that's the problem yeah. with like when you democratize things to an extreme. You made you may now you made everyone an editor. Yeah. And is everyone qualified? Is a question. You know. Well, it's kind of like when people misunderstand like the that we're not a democ- direct democracy. We're a republic. I mean, yeah. where everybody is not supposed to have the voice. Where everybody has the opportunity to elect someone yeah. to be the voice right because otherwise it's going to be crazy like nobody knows enough about government policies for everybody to make a direct decision it'd be, in, it would be in weird like the world yeah. i think people would take the time to educate themselves but we're too busy being entertained especially in this day and age man you ever try like, i don't sit i don't watch much television but the other yeah. day i was like surfing like oh i have this and i have that and oh wow this is really cool and like i can see i can see why people get lost you know, like you're bombarded with movies and TV series and all. Like, it, it's too it's too convenient to just do that and get lost. Like, even like with jiu-jitsu, man, I think that some guys get lost more in the talks of jiu-jitsu and talking about it than actually training. <laughs> you know, like you ever go on flow grabbing, man, there's like tons of content there, man. You get lost in there with all those tournaments, interviews, like they're lo- releasing documentaries now. Next thing you know, like I think people are probably spending more time watching and talking about jiu-jitsu than actually training. 
I wouldn't be surprised if that's like the case for most practitioners. It, I mean, it, you know, if you're a nine to fiver, you're working a regular job, you probably get come into the gym maybe a couple of times a week, but the rest yeah. of the time you're still immersing yourself, reading and whatnot. I, I wouldn't say that would be a bad thing, but I could see how it would be weird if you're putting in 10 hours, but only putting in an hour physically. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I get that impression, man. Like, even for myself, I'm not going to lie. I'm, I mean, because I do this for, for a living, maybe it's a little bit different. I don't train nearly as much as I used to, but like my day is like 24-7 BJJ. Everything I do, like almost every conversation I have is, you know, around that. Like every now and then I'll, you know, we drift, you know, but like it's 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 a big part of my life. Like I feel like maybe I'm I'm like that, like because I, I don't train nearly as much as I used to. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm still recovering from this silly wrist injury, so I've been doing more Weight training than anything, you know? Yeah, I got a, I, you know, you guys know Felipe Andrew. He's training, living with us. Now he's training with us, and uh, he's like a few points away from being number one in the world in IBJJF rankings. I think he's like a few points behind Boucher, and the Hulk. So he's number three, right, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. So I'm, he's a little bit lighter than me, and I'm, I'm training with him, and I'm going to do my best to keep up with him because he's so fast, and he's like always a step ahead of me. And... You know, it's it's hard because like I wanna I wanna push myself to be competitive and give him a good role and all that, but it's it's to the point where if I go to war with them, like the next day I'm useless. Yeah. And it's almost like do I wanna train every day kinda like I only get like three rounds in, or do I wanna have like a round with these animals, like four or five rounds with these guys and the next day I have to take off because like my wrist hurts and you know, my back starts hurting, and you're just tired. Like, the recovery's a lot slower, and it sucks because I really wish I could push. You know, like, my mind and heart are ready to push. Like, my body's saying no more. Yeah, you know, the man, the, just the recovery is so much slower. Uh, like, this thing with my hand, I thought it would be done by now. It's like a month, and it's yeah. still there. You know, I was, like, drilling something. <laughs> I was fixing something at my house, and then, yeah. then my wrist is now all jacked up from that. I'm like, Jesus, you know? But, well, like, it's, um, it, I, I, we say this all the time, but it's mentally healthy, right? It's just kept me, it's just kept me sane through some of the hardest moments in my life, and it's always been there for me, you know? And it, it, it never ceases from being a teacher. That's one thing I love about it, is that it's always teaching me something about myself that I didn't know. Yeah. Because the, the, the beauty of jiu-jitsu, it's very real in the sense where, you can't talk your way out of something. Like everything is very real and and, and very, um, you know, it's a show me kind of art. Like, okay, you you're better than me. Okay, show me. Like it's very hands on like that, and it's it really is constantly because it's a very competitive game too. It's constantly confronting you with reality. Like you can't. I think a lot of people they they live they shelter themselves from reality a lot. And jujitsu is constantly you know exposing your reality, not just in in terms of training, but in terms of coaching too, in terms of running a business, like all these other things that I'm doing now. And if you, for example, if you have, you know, if your students do really well, yeah, the chances, there's a good chance you have a lot of talented students. But if you see someone that consistently has good students, right, it says something about their coaching. Yes. Right? And you can't argue with that. Like, it's okay, clearly there's something going on here. This guy consistently has good students. Granted, a lot of, you know, a lot of times good students will switch to that gym so it's like a snowball effect right so they're 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 migrating from other people who actually train them to you know bigger gyms yeah. and so on but like it, you can't argue with reality is my point right so it is a way of teaching us about us you know so there's something you're doing wrong reality is going to kick you in the teeth until you accept it and change what's wrong right so it's a it's a tool for improvement and on so many different fronts in my life like learning how to deal with people 
you know, I, I've improved a lot in that regard, you know. I'm still hard to deal with in a lot of ways. <laughs> I know this, but it was it was a lot worse before. I'm getting better, you know. But actually, I learned this in the gym. Like, you know, I, it's almost like every lesson I know in life has been learned through jiu-jitsu. So. For sure. I mean, for me, the martial arts essentially is responsible for making me the man I am today. And I feel like the first true venture into it was with wrestling. Yeah. I went from a kid that was overweight. I was like five, seven, two hundred 200 pounds. Oh, jeez. Yeah, and like 14. Do you have pictures? I should have some pictures. I like to I, see that. That's yeah, funny. Yeah, because yeah, I was a big fat kid. And it was yeah. funny because I was just talking to somebody the other day, at, uh, somebody who was going to do some work in my house. And uh, he's like, oh, do you speak Spanish? I'm like, yeah, but I always try. I, I try to speak English because I'm a better English speaker. And then yeah. he got into like a side conversation uh, because I'm like, oh, you know, when I was younger, I, was, I had speech uh, therapy because I couldn't speak well. And then I guess I was very self-conscious about speaking Spanish because it was all like jumbled up. So I never spoke Spanish. And I was this big fat kid, so it didn't help. And then this guy just got goosebumps all over the place. And I'm like, what's going on? He's like, oh, my son is like, and he's that kid right now. Like, what do I do? He has no friends. You know, he's overweight. And he just feels very unconfident in himself. So, of course, my bias was... <laughs> Do martial arts. Yeah, uh, I know that I was that same kid. You know, I never had many friends except my brother. My brother is the one guy that I've always been a friend with, and that's a given. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. But he was worried because I guess he was trying to pressure his son too much to make friends, and he would he would tell us, "Go, go out and make friends." I'm like, "No, no, no, you're you're doing it wrong because it's gonna come out like needy, you know, and especially with other kids. It's gonna feel weird." You know, like someone's yeah. like, oh, be my friend. It's like, got to be natural. Yeah, like exactly. It's got to be organic. You know, like find something that he likes to do, whether because he's, oh, my son started weight training. Like, perfect. Get him, let him go nuts into weight training. Because I think as a as a young man, you need to do something with your hands, something physical, especially if you're overweight. You want to get some confidence in your body. Mm-hmm. You know, but putting in the, that time into the gym for him and starting to see results. He's going to start giving him confidence. He'll start to carry himself a little differently. And he's going to meet people there eventually. You're going to bump into people in the gym. They're going to say something and organically become a friend, you know? But I, I, always, I always telling him, if you can, see if you can do the martial arts because I told him, go to Robert's gym. <laughs> All right? Thank you. Uh, because it teaches so much more than just the physical ability. Yeah. Right? Like you said, there's all these virtues that get passed and they're, they're and they're passed invisibly, right? Because yeah. it's not like, you know, like he was saying he would, because the guy asked me, "How do you teach confidence?" I'm like, "Well, you can't just tell him to read the book and you'll get it. It doesn't work that way, right? I can't say be confident. Doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. Unless right? you go to a Tony Robbins seminar, I'm just <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> so like you have to earn the confidence. Yeah. And the confidence is earned generally by seeing results. Yeah. You got to put hard work in and get a return. And you know, so if he's lifting weights, tell him to write a log. Yeah. Right. So he can track. Okay. Today I did 100 pounds. Next week I did 110. Hey, I'm moving up. And then if you start, you know, looking and seeing differences in your body, that's going to help you too. You know, in jujitsu, you see it easily when you you get a tap. Right. You you beat somebody. That's an easy pat in the back. You can measure it. Right. right? You can measure that, or you don't get destroyed by somebody. You know, you survive. The destroys. Yeah, yeah. So it's very easy to measure the improvements. And and I think there's just that. With the martial arts as well, since you are doing it with other people, it's a good bonding activity, right? Because anytime, or any team sport for that matter, anytime you do an activity that's shared sweat and toil, 
there's a bonding that goes on. It's just like I think a primitive thing. It's you create trust with somebody. You know, like if you work with somebody, you'll become friends with them naturally. Yeah. You know, you gotta really try hard not to be friends with somebody you you work with eight hours a day. <laughs> no, absolutely. You know, so that's why everybody in the gym becomes buddies, right? Because you're training together, you're sweating, you know, and you're working hard. There's a level of trust that you have to trust that guy not to hurt you. You're not going to hurt you him. You know, it's funny. Like, people, like, they have issues. And we all do, right? Like, confidence is one. You know, I get all this all the time as a gym owner where, you know, dad walks in. My, I want my son to be more confident. It's a very common theme. And it's, it's interesting because I think a lot of people are looking for a shortcut or it's a magical pill or a technique or just... and. It's almost like anything that you suck at in life. There's only one way to get better at it, is doing it. Yeah. You know, and I think deep now we know this answer, but like because we know it's going to be a long road, we're looking for shortcuts. And I always try to approach, you know, development in a different way. Like don't look at the outcome of the end result. Look at falling in love with the journey because then it's easy to achieve your goal, right? Going, I was very insecure as a child. I got picked on a ton. I had to fight like all the time in Brazil. Um, but like, it was like, it, it wasn't the fact that, oh, I want to overcome this. That's why I go to the gym. Like, I like going to the gym. Oh, I'm overcoming something. Oh, cool. It was almost like the, the, the bonus, right. Or like the progress was a side effect of my passion. Yeah. It was the passion that took me to the gym every yes. day. Not the fact that I was terrified. I was getting my butt kicked. Like that wasn't it. So it really goes you know, like, of course, we're biased, we're martial artists, we're going to say, yeah, doji jiu-jitsu, Robert Drysdale, of course. But it's not, it's it's not the only, there are other ways of achieving that For sort sure. of confidence, you know, like, just throw yourself out there and, and find what you like. And, and exactly. everything comes from that. Like, I will say this, maybe I sound arrogant when I say this, but, like, very few things intimidate me because of fighting. For sure. Because once you yep. do that, like, I don't, like... I mean, as a kid, you know, just go and talk to a girl was, was something hard. It was something difficult. You know, like, oh, you know, what's she going to say? Is she going to like me? She's not going to like me. I don't care now. Yeah. And it's not in the sense where, like, of course, I, I want to be successful at it. But it's, like, my confidence is just, like, so high. And I was like, I, she can like me or not. It doesn't matter. Like, it's just, boom. It's, yeah. And it, it's it's to the point where I don't, like, it's, it's something that I think a lot of guys struggle with. But it's really helped me because I don't have that issue. And I think it really believed that jujitsu did that for me. I know jiu-jitsu, fighting, wrestling did that for me as well. <laughs> I have a yeah. funny story about that, actually. So a friend of uh, mine in the gym decides to take me out uh, for my birthday. Uh-huh. And I went along, and I never generally drink, yeah. right? And that whole day, I was painting in a room half the size of this, with the doors closed, because yeah. I'm an idiot, apparently. <laughs> I so told you're you, high. I, I told you, I'm sorry, I'm not uh, the yeah. smartest guy, yeah. I'm the handiest guy. So... I go there in an empty stomach, and then he's like, oh, we order vodka. And I get, like, a highball, and no ice, no. But he's like, oh, you want cranberry? Like, I don't like that crap. Just give it straight. And, like, in five minutes, I down it. And he's like, yo, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm okay. And then <laughs> after a couple minutes, a girl's talking to me, and my ears are just like, <laughs> uh, like I go, yo, I can't hear a damn thing. He's like, all right, you're going home. And then. As I'm going home, I'm stumbling, you know, like, uh, he takes me to the car, and he's taking me to my neighborhood, and there's a gate there, and I'm like, oh, I don't have the keys. He's like, oh, what are you going to do? So I'm just going to jump the gate. He's like, bro, are you sure? I'm like, and this is what I told him word for word. He goes, man, I wrestled in high school. I could do anything. <laughs> <laughs> this guy died laughing. Uh, sure enough, I got out and made it, threw up all over the place. But it does, and the story. Yeah. But like, yeah, like I felt like after wrestling, 
that nothing was going to be hard. Going to be hard, right? I yeah. was like, man, like what school? Like what? I gotta look at a book for like an hour? Like get the hell out of here! It's dude. easy. Yeah, it's easy. It really is. Yeah. You know what it's like to like be nutritionally deprived for like three days, eating oh like check mix or whatnot. You know, like you're starving, <laughs> starving, and then wrestling and cutting weight and all that. And then what? Yeah, I just gotta read a book for an hour. Like that's a no, joke. Yeah, it is. It's like even like with business stuff that I I'm learning or I'm getting better at. Like. I can see why people like, oh, it's just hard, it's a skill. But I look at it and I go, it's still way easier than what we did. Yeah. Like it I can't think like I you know, I I put my, my, my studies on pause, you know, for, for this semester. But like I was a grad student at UNLV and you know, they bombard you with a lot of stuff to read. Like there is a lot of stuff. But you know, like no one's really reading everything. Everyone's just like reading introduction, conclusion pretty much. Right. And they read like a couple reviews and I got the book, right? That's pretty much what you're doing. Yeah. Not, not nowhere near as challenging. Yeah. Like, it's very demanding, time-consuming, right? But compared to, you know, what we were doing, like cutting weight and, you know, fighting, being tired and being exhausted. Like, I remember, like, there were days I get home and I can have the energy to pick up my daughters. Like, they wanted to be held. And they were, like, one- and two-year-old type thing. And, like, picking them up was a huge effort. I was using the rail to go up the stairs. Yeah, yeah. That's how tired I was. And I, this was happening, like, almost every day, man, for years. So... You know, I I think it's as far as a school for life goes, I think that every every kid out there should fight. Not as a career necessarily, but like that wrestling experience you had in high school. I didn't have that. Like I had it through jujitsu, but like a different way because I was pushing myself. But like having like the wrestling camp you described, I think that's like almost like a rite of passage. Every kid should go through something like that. So they yeah. can see like how tough you actually are. Like exactly. How much you can actually accomplish. And then once you're done with that, like you said, it's like any other challenge is like, bring it. It's it, not going to be harder. It gives you a lot of perspective, right? Like I feel a lot of people have what I consider the first world problems. Like, oh, my yes. my internet's down. Yeah. Oh, no, what am I going to yeah. do? Like, dude, come on. Like, really? It's just yeah. the internet. You know, yeah. like, but I mean, when you deal with a survival issue and like when you're doing weight cuts and fighting, it's a survival yeah. issue to a sense, 100%. right? Like, you feel that you could literally plop down and 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 keel over you know so it 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 takes a lot of the sting out of just about anything else you know for me i imagine people who who go to war and stuff have another level of that beyond my understanding right because they're i think that's a whole new level especially if you're seeing battle up front yeah like i've I've mentioned fighting is one of the most hardest things you can do i think that it is more intellectually demanding, but I think emotionally and physically, I think war would be. Oh, I don't like, have to imagine. I can't, yeah, I can't a whole other level, you know. So like, it pales what oh, we're doing. And it's there's a reason why you know PTSD is such an issue for veterans. For because, sure, because you know it takes. I don't care how strong you are mentally; it's gonna mess you up. Yeah, like there's no way you're gonna go through that amount of suffering and witnessing so much suffering around you, and it's not gonna. You have to be absolutely cold like a sociopath and not be changed by something like that you know yeah i think it definitely i mean again we're speaking out of turn in this but i yeah you know i imagine yeah (laughs) but i would think you have to be a really strong person mentally or have a good framework set up so that you can deal with the type of stresses that you're going to deal with because yeah it's it's cool to say oh i like playing call of duty i'm going to jump in there and I'm like, yeah, I think not it's the same thing. Yeah, it's totally not the same thing. There's yeah. no uh, reviving or, reviving. <laughs> or your the buddies. shots actually hurt. Yeah, you know, so I think it's a totally different story. But in any case, the same, the, the metaphor stands is that you get perspective of how hard things can actually be 
versus what you're dealing yeah. with. Like most of the difficulties that we handle in a modern society like ours is just more like social challenges. Yeah. Right. They're like the little games that we play with each other. You know, like even like in relationships, there's a little courtship game that goes on. Yeah. You know, and when you're in school, there's a game of who's popular and who's not, but they're not real. You know, like at the end of the day, like I forgot what movie I saw where essentially the guy, uh, he was trying to, somebody was trying to intimidate somebody by his position. Yeah. And the guy, he was like a stone cold killer. He's like, you think your title has any power here? Mm. Like, I could end your life right now if I wanted to. Right. Yeah. So it's like the, I feel like that same way. Like if you are confident in your abilities and you've actually pushed yourself to the limits of seeing what you can do, the little trivial games that we play it's it 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 turns into child play yeah it starts it's like i knew exactly what you're talking about and you know i I hope that people were were getting the message across because it's such an important lesson you look at little trivial things that people get caught up with and i'm like i got important shit to do yeah like you know this is not really you're right it's all very artificial yeah but people get caught up with these things yeah and you you get and it's easy to just myself you know get caught up with stuff like this and start oh i do getting stressed out about it but it's like you gotta step back and go do I have food on my table? Yes. Do I have a bed I can sleep in? You know, do I have uh, my family safe? You know what it is. Everything like, else is we, just we, I, we, gravy. You know. One, I think we like problems. We like talking about problems. For sure. I've been heard. Like, I heard someone say once that they, they we like spam mail. We love spam mail. Like, why would you like spam mail? Because it gives us something to talk about and complain about. Yeah. You know, and I think like we are like I don't care how good life is. I think we're gonna find something to complain about. Like I complain about my phone all the time. You know, and it's. Incredible piece of technology. I'm constantly complaining, but I think people like to complain. I don't care how good life is. People will still complain. I tell myself that all the time. You know, where you know, I imagine how my grandfather had it, and that's another thing. I think life has become so, you know, like first world problems. You know, and I see this a lot. And I think in a lot of ways we become emasculated because life has become so much easier. Whereas we're talking about like handiwork earlier before the show, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not great at it. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm not either. You know, it's like, man, like 50 years ago, like if you were on a handyman, like you're useless as a man. Like yeah, that, you yeah. had to be. You know, everyone, you know, had a shed full of tools, and it, it's. I mean, I like this stuff. I just never got into it. I like building, and you know, I my, a lot of my some of my family members are resort carpenters, and like I like to go to the wood shop and like work. You know, make my my you know toys and guns out of wood when I was a kid, but. I never really, you know, learned how to be a handyman, but I think that it's a, um, it's a symptom of like technology for sure in society is. where we become very removed from the reality of the world. I always imagine like apocalyptic scenarios where like what would happen if a place like Las Vegas were without gas or without water or without electricity or if credit cards stopped working. Like, what do you think would happen, Dave? Like, shit would break loose, man. Yeah, for sure. Like, it would be crazy how, like, actually fragile our society is. You know, currency collapses. We have a depression instead of recession. You know, it's very... And we don't know how to do a lot of things. I was watching a talk between... I can't pronounce his name. This is this Israeli guy. He wrote that book, Homo Sapiens. Uh, Yuval something and Jared Diamond. I know Jared well because, like, I, I've read his books and they were talking about like if there ever were a collapse like that like how many americans would be able to survive 
and the conclusion were like probably none. <laughs> you know, like people would survive would be like the natives of the Amazon and some tribes in Africa, well, I think the they... Aborigines. Like those are the people. Like okay, they'd be just fine. Like their life would not change. Everyone else in every developed country in the world would be fucked. I think wrapping it up to the beginning, those doomsday preppers, conspiracy theorists would be the ones that would be all right. They already have their yeah. bunkers set up. I think about that. Like you know, like in Utah, like it's it's very common for Mormon communities. They like they store food. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, but like I, I go to Utah every now for seminars. I'll be staying with my house, and they have like tons of food at home, and it's all like canned food. Now I think all oh, these people are crazy. Like, no, they're not. They're right. Yeah, we're crazy for. I have water. I have enough water for like three days in my house. What do you think about that? Yeah, we we take it for granted that society will always provide all these amenities that we need, and what you're saying is true because, in a sense, we have to if you want to make that progress, yeah. right? Because if Everybody was a do-it-yourselfer. Sure, we'll all be very independent, but we wouldn't be able to make the advances in technology because not, nobody yes. would be able to Special, specialize. Specialization, right? yes. Everybody would just be good at everything, yeah. and you know. But and maybe it's what, that it's what makes us us. Yeah. yeah, and maybe it wouldn't be a bad thing necessarily. Yeah. We're we're focused on it's, massive expansion. It is, it is uh, the gift of human mind. Is uh, in in biology, there's there's this category called uh, um, what's it called. Uh, Eusociality, is it called? It's eusociality. They're basically insects that actually have a division of labor. Mm-hmm. It's called eusociality, I think it's called. And it's us, you know, humans, wasps, bees, and ants, basically. Every other animal does the exact same thing. And if you think about the animal kingdom, that's pretty much how it is. Like, they do the exact, there's no division of labor. Yeah. Right? So the insects, like these three insects, they have division of labor. Right. They have worker bees. Yes, and exactly. And we're like, our great advantage over other species has always been the fact that we can divide labor. And now with technology and, like, the excessive calories we have in, in production, right? Because calories is always the issue. Like, you're spending all your calories doing what before, back in the day? Chasing calories. Yeah. You're like, if you had a surplus of like 200 calories a day, that's like a win. That's like a good day. Yeah. You know, you were killing yourself just to get that extra little bit of food, you know. But now with everything readily available, we become so hyper-specialized. There are literally people making millions of dollars taking pictures of themselves. Yeah. Let that sink in. They don't know how to do anything. They're called influencers, right? What's their skill? Taking selfies. That's literally what it is. And it's a whole new category. It's a profession. And it they can make money to buy, you know, like tons and tons of food and property. And they can only, and they don't know how to do anything. The specialization has been, you know, in this case, taking pictures of themselves. You know, and when you think about stuff like that, it's like, man, it's, pretty, it's so crazy. Because it's so removed from the reality of the trajectory of the human species. Like, we're so far removed. I wonder, like, what... What would, you know, human 20,000 years ago come, if you could have a time machine, he would place in this society, like, what he would think of us. Because they're just as intelligent as us. Like, they were not stupid. Right. We yeah. think of, you know, prehistoric people as stupid. They're not stupid. They're just as intelligent. In fact, they're probably more intelligent because they had to solve very difficult problems to survive. But I wonder what they would think of us. And they probably think that every single one of us is just, like, very weak. That's probably would be his impression. That would be my guess. Because we're so dependent on everything else to get by. And it is the way it is. But I think it's it's a sign of, I think we've become very, very weak. Technology has made us weak, mentally and physically. Yeah. It, we, we're using the technology to leverage and learn more about the natural world and yeah. be able to do more. I mean, that's how we essentially climb to the top of the food 
chain is through technology but now it's it, it is true what you say at one point now we're kind of linked we are part the technology is part of us if cyborgs you, practically yeah if you remove that technology from us now we're back to the stone ages you know and we're just like and, and we're just a weak monkey now we're just a weak monkey. we don't know how to do a lot like yeah. we're, we're talking about being a handyman like do i i don't know how to grow food i can probably learn yeah. i'm sure i can figure it out or but hunt like, or anything that, I, i'm yeah. sure i can learn these things yeah. like you know you, you can learn jujitsu you can learn just about anything i'm confident in that regard but i don't know how to like if you set me out like in in go like go kill a deer you know here's a bow and arrow I'd be like what what <laughs> yeah that's uh, i go like go against the wind no yeah i can't go with the wind go against against the wind okay that's about the only thing i know right <laughs> it ends right there right but i actually want to start doing more stuff like that like, I think it would be fun, too. I think I'm sure I would enjoy it. I just never had the opportunity. Yeah, ditto. I haven't done any hunting, but it's something I would like to do. Fishing. Not the same, but... but yeah, it's not the same. Not the same. It's not still big, fun, though. Yeah, I'm not a big fish guy myself. Yeah. No, really. I went yeah. fishing for the second time. I've only been fishing twice. Once when I was, like, 14 with my uncle. And, like, recently in Costa Rica with Ron. Okay. And we got a fishing boat, and we were just drinking beer out and, you know, and fishing. Caught two fish. Four or five hours in the water. Beautiful days of my life. Oh, it's it's a nice activity. I totally get yeah. it why people fall in love with it. Yeah, because you're just relaxing and you're just waiting. Quiet, yeah, quiet man. Yeah. It's quiet. People don't talk that much. Too the guys on a boat, like no one talks. They just kind of shut up and just like look at the sunset. You know, look around, waiting for, you know, waiting for the fish. Well, the fresh fish is is hard to beat. Yeah. It, there's a major difference between eating a line caught fish yeah. versus going to a grocery store and buying fish. You know, even if it's on it's the rewarding. Butcher. Yeah, but it, it like fish spoils like really fast. You know, and like when you get a fresh fish, one is you got it. You know, yeah. so it's cool in that sense. But two, just the freshness makes all the difference. You yeah. know, like people who eat like sushi, they'll just literally yeah. cut it right there and start eating it. It's it, it definitely elevates it. That's why I don't really like seafood that much. It's not that I don't like it. It's a I've had fresh seafood and I'm kind of like a snob. Yeah. Now it's like, I can't have something that's not literally right out of the ocean, you know? So, yeah, because I've been spoiled. Like when I went to the Galapagos, I was eating like tuna and lobster that was caught that day. Some of it, when we went fishing, we got it. And man, the flavor's out of this world. And then when you come outside of that, it's like, it's totally different. It's not yeah. the same. It's like when I started eating prime steaks, I'm like, now I can't go back. Yeah, God damn it, this is put a big dent in my pocketbook. <laughs> I know the feeling, man. Anyway, uh, Dave, kind of all over the place again today. Um, enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. It's fun to, you know, like not just stick to the jiu-jitsu theme, but like, hey, we, 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 can, we can talk about so these, all these different topics, but like I find links between, like common threads between everything and jiu-jitsu. For I, sure. I'm able to bring it all back somehow, like in my mind, it's like, Every, it's, it, it is linked in, in so many different ways. For sure. I always see the martial arts as a, a parallel to life. Yeah. And I, the way you, you train, the way you teach, the, the way you behave and practice, it should translate to all areas of life, which yeah. is why like, I always try to endorse it to people, you know, like, especially someone who was like a, a young guy that was in trouble. I'm like, try that if you're not doing something, you know? But, yeah. like, but you're like I say, it doesn't have to be martial arts. But anything that someone can get passionate about that has some yes. physical component to it, I think is crucial, you know? Yeah. And life-changing. Anyway, well, hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, you know, share with your friends. And uh, me and Dave will be filming another one soon. Yes, sir. I actually have a lot of fun with these. Sometimes it's hard to make the time during the day. I'm running around like crazy. Dave is super busy with his move, too. But, like, you know, sometimes I'll have to cancel stuff, too. too. But I, I like this. I really enjoy these, these talks, Dave. 
And uh, I hope you guys enjoy them as well. And uh, send us some suggestions, I suppose. Yeah. If there's anything you'd like to hear us talk about, like more of this, less of that, uh, longer, shorter. You know, we, we had some suggestions recently, some very positive ones. The feedback's been really positive, I feel like. Yep. You know, it's just, um, we just want to make it better and better for you guys. So, yeah, let us know. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed me and Rob's conversation. We, we wandered a little bit more than usual. <laughs> it wasn't always on martial arts, but I hope nonetheless that it was entertaining for you. If you guys enjoy the podcast, please uh, comment, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. And uh, do us a solid and share it with your friends, whether you do it on social media or you just by word of mouth. The more viewers we have or the more listeners we have, the better our reach. And uh, likewise, if you guys have suggestions and things that you want us to talk about or maybe issues that you're having uh, trouble with at the gym or, you know, interpersonal or whatnot, send us a, a direct message either on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or you can just email me at david at breakingtheguard.com. And we will love to field some questions. You know, we get enough questions. We can perhaps just do an episode uh, answering people's questions. And again, martial arts related-ish. <laughs> we move around. So if your question's not 100% on point, uh, we'll still consider answering it. All right. So again, visit BreakingTheGuard.com as always to get links to all of our content. A final word from one of our sponsors which is bjjcradle.com. bjjcradle.com is home to Robert Drysdale's course, which is the Drysdale Cradle Series. And this is a very unique way of approaching passing guard, whether it's a half guard, open guard, sitting guard, particularly Z guards are really well attacked with Robert's approach by using the cradle. And the cradle, of course, is a wrestling pinning combination, but he adapted it in the way to make it useful for jiu-jitsu. And you can pass the guard from the, the cradle. You can execute a variety of submissions, like a Japanese necktie, guillotine choke, and of course with Robert, the Dars or the Bravo choke, he shows his particular details, and that alone is worth the price of admission. But uh, you can go ahead, check those out at bjjcradle.com. We also have that on sale on ffacoach.com slash shop where you can get it, uh, I think, like a 40% off discount. So you're actually better off buying it at ffacoach.com slash shop. And uh, it's available both in DVD and online formats. So go ahead and check it out.